Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Message title is Salvation in Jesus. I started this a couple weeks ago and I want to jump back into it again today. Let's get our Bibles out. We get excited about our Bibles here at the Rhodes Church because we believe it is the power of God unto salvation. So we get pumped about that. Yeah, yeah. So let's get our Bibles out. Come on, North City, Mount Carmel, Carlinville, wherever you're watching from. We love the Bible. Let's open them up to Romans chapter 10. Woo! Romans chapter 10. Love it. Love it. Love it. Note takers are world changers. So sermon notes are in your worship guide or on the Version Bible app. While you're turning there, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the fire of the Holy Spirit bringing the word to life today. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for opening our spiritual eyes that we may see and get revelation. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. Romans chapter 10, start in verse 1. If you're ready, let's do it. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Prayer and desire for Israel. Israel, the whole nation of Israel, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he's saying, listen, my prayer and desire, my desire, heart's desire and prayer to God for the nation of Israel is that they may be saved. And I read that this week, and like the Lord highlight that again, what does it mean that Israel may be saved? Notice what it doesn't say. This is the way I like to study the Bible. Sometimes I figure out what the Bible is saying by noticing what it doesn't say. Notice it does not say, my heart's desire and prayer to God is so that Israel might get saved. It says that they may be saved. And it may seem like semantics. You may be like, well, whatever, it's just two letters. But I think sometimes those little letters can mean a big difference. Get saved gives the connotation that they do something. That they get saved, like they accomplish something. Get something done. Like I get saved, check. But be saved makes me think about more along the lines of becoming something. So it's not just get saved like I do something, get something done, but I be saved, I become something. That they not just do something once, but they rather be something continually. I'm going to challenge some uh, theories this morning because I just want to make sure. I'm going to go to slow. I'm going to teach a little bit because sometimes we grasp a hold of certain words and, and we think that they mean certain things. And, and I want us to look at what does it means to what does it mean to be saved. We've traditionally been taught that the word saved just means something we get. When did you get saved? Right? That's talking about something that happened. It's an event that took place in your life at some point. I got saved. Check. I get it. I mean, all all for the time that we prayed and gave our life to Jesus and made him the Lord of our life. But I think it's more than something we get. I think it's something we become. I think it's an ongoing, continual process. I think there's three tenses to the word saved. That I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. What? I have been saved. Jesus died on the cross. I have been saved. 
I am being saved continually. I'm continually becoming who he wants me to become. And I will ultimately be saved when Jesus returns and takes me home to heaven. There's three phases to that. So now the word saved in and of itself is the Greek word sozo. It means to rescue. It's a verb. To rescue, to save, to deliver, to heal, to make whole. It's a verb. It's an action word. But this word, my prayers that they may be saved, is a noun. It's a soteria. It means a state or condition of being rescued, being in safety, being in deliverance, being in health, or being in wholeness. So here's the part where I want you to pay attention clearly. I want you to pay attention all the time. (laughs) But I want you to notice this. The verb, save, to rescue, to save, to deliver, to heal, to make whole, the action, the verb, is something that is done while the noun represents something that we become as a result or consequence of what is done. The verb is something that's done, rescue, save, deliver, heal, make whole. That's something done. The noun, the condition, is something we become as a result of what is done. There's another part to it. The verb, the saving, is something we cannot do for ourselves. I cannot save me. Salvation is a position or condition that I can step into because of what Jesus has done. I can't save, deliver, heal, or make myself whole. But because of what Jesus has done, now I can become the result of what was available because of what he did. So salvation is a state or condition that I can experience based on what Jesus did, I can now become. Let me give you scripture for that. The Bible says that they made him who knew no sin to be sin, talking about Jesus, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Salvation in Jesus. What does that mean? Jesus knew no sin. He became sin. He was made to be sin for us. All of the sin of humanity, past, present, and future, was laid on him. He, as the lamb, represented sin. And he became sin so that I, through him, might become the righteousness of God. In other words, it's not about me, it's about him. We don't just make ourselves saved. Like, it's not something I do outside of him, it's something I receive in him. I don't don't get myself healed, I receive what he made available for me. Remember, sozo, saved, delivered, healed, made whole, rescued, all of those words. So I don't rescue myself. I connect to the rescuer, and through him, I become something I cannot be on my own. I can't heal myself, so what do I do? I connect myself to the healer, and I become healed because I'm connected to the one who did something I cannot do for myself. Is it making sense? So now salvation is not 
so much about something I do for myself, but it's about the relational connection I have to the one who did it for me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about us. It's about Jesus. What we can step into in identity and availability and position, it's all about what Jesus did, gives us the opportunity to step into that and become something we cannot be without him. Why is this important? Because too many times we're trying to become something without a connection to Jesus. We're trying to become peaceful without a connection to the Prince of Peace. We're trying to become wise without a connection to the one who's all wise. We're trying to be healed without a connection to the one who's the healer. We're trying to get saved without a connection to the one who's our Savior. So he's telling, listen, get that relational connection and then everything else will come to us. We are saved because of the result of our connection to the Savior, not because of what we do. Let me, let me give you another example. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Hold your finger there in Romans chapter 10. We'll come back. Are you with me so far? Okay. I've got seven. The rest of you are coming. I believe it in Jesus' name. When we're, when we're talking about this, again, I felt like the importance of emphasizing this is because I, I sense that the gospel of Jesus is getting lost in a society that is pointing more and more towards self-sufficiency. I've said this before. I will continue to say it. I believe it with all of my heart. The greatest uh, strategy or the most important strategy of the enemy is not to get us to worship him. It's to get us to worship ourselves. It's to get us to think we're independent. We can do whatever we want, when we want, how we want, and there are no consequences. I don't need a relationship with Jesus to have a good life. I just need a good job. I just need a good paying job, I'll be a nice good moral person, and everything will be fine. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I cannot have life, true life, outside of a connection with Jesus. Well, I'm looking around, everybody else seems to be fine. Adam seemed to be fine, but he was dead spiritually. But he was alive, he's walking around. So here's what we got to say. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved, by grace. Let me teach this for a second. The word grace there is the Greek word charis, which means goodwill, favor, and resources freely given by God. I use the word disseminated, but trying to make it as simple as possible. So by grace, by grace, by God's goodwill, by God's favor, by his resources freely given to us, you have been sozoed. So how have we been saved, delivered, healed, rescued, and made whole? We've been sozoed by God's goodwill, his resources, his favor extended towards us. So who is the originator of sozo? Who's the one who's the source that causes us to be saved, sozoed? Remember, that's the verb. That's something we cannot do for ourselves. So now, he's he's the one, by God's grace, we have been, what? We've been sozoed. So by grace, God's grace, we have been sozoed. So now, Jesus did something to provide something for us. And it came by the goodwill and favor of God. It's, it's not of ourselves, the Bible goes on to say. It's not about us, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we've got to stop trying to earn salvation. Stop trying to earn the favor of God. 
I know we have to do it amongst ourselves sometimes. That's not God's best intention. I know we have to get people to like us, but, you know, and we over. I don't want to go into all that. In God's kingdom, he's already made up his mind how he feels about us. You do not have to earn his goodwill. I will say this, and I'm preaching to Chad. We will disqualify ourselves long before God will ever disqualify us. We will pull ourselves away from a relationship with God, not because of his feelings towards us, but because our feelings towards ourselves. We will think because we did or felt or thought something, therefore I'm not worthy, so we'll pull back and disconnect from the very source of life By grace, you have been saved. So by grace, God's the one who's done it. He's rescued me. He's saved me. He's delivered me. He's healed me. He's made me whole. By grace, have you been saved through what? Through? Through? Get everybody on the same page. Through? Through faith. What is faith? Faith. Hebrews 11.1 would say the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Julie gave the word. It's not just hope, but pairing hope with faith. So by grace, God's goodwill and favor towards me, I have been saved, delivered, healed, rescued, made whole. But it's through, what's through mean? If I would say, hey, if we're going to leave, you have to go through those doors. What does that mean? That's the way. If I'd say, hey, you want to go to the cafe, you need to go through the doors to get to the cafe. Or you need, need to go through the doors to get out. So if you want to get somewhere, you have to go through that door. That's the means by which we go, right? So when the Bible says, by grace, goodwill, favor of God towards me, I have been saved. That's his part. That's something I cannot do for myself. But through faith is how I step into what's been provided for me by God. I'm not looking for an amen, I'm just making for clarity. Like I'm not looking for approval, like, well, that was a great point. I'm just looking for, do you understand what I'm saying? This is huge. Because what God provides for us, we have to step into through faith. But the wrong teaching will tell you if God wants you to have it, he'll give it to you. If you don't have it, because it's evidently God doesn't want you to have it, that's not true. That's bad biblical teaching. Biblical teaching is God provided for something I cannot do for myself, but he asked me to step into it through faith. I have to believe it. What does that mean? I have to disregard circumstantial evidence of my reality. We spend too much time determining our reality based on circumstantial evidence. Are things going well in my life? I don't know. Let me look around and see. Am I happy? I don't know. Let me look around and see what's going on. Do I have peace in my life? I don't know. Let me see how the circumstances are. We use circumstantial evidence to determine our position instead of stepping through faith and say, this is what God said. This is my condition. This is my position. The grace of God provided this for me. But we're looking around at circumstantial circumstantial evidence instead of relational connection evidence. How do I know that I'm saved, delivered, healed, made whole? Because I'm connected to the Savior. 
because I'm connected to the healer. I don't know if my circumstantial evidence has lined up with it yet or not, but I've got to determine which condition I'm going to put my faith in. Am I going to put my faith in the circumstantial evidence or am I going to put it in the relational connection evidence? Am I helping anybody? By grace to be saved. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 10. He said, this is my desire, that they may be saved, they may become saved. They step into this condition, this position that's been provided for them by Jesus. I want them to step into it. It's not theirs by their own works. It's not theirs by their own doing. I want them to step into it by faith. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They're passionate about something. They have a fervor about something. But that word knowledge means personal acknowledgement or revelation. So they have a zeal for God. Is it possible for someone to be zealous, very passionate about a thinking, about an ideal, a, a deal or a position, but not have the right information? Is it possible for people to be zealous about what they believe and be misguided? Look what it says in Galatians chapter 1. I said this last time, I'll say it again. Zeal is alone is not a confirmation of accuracy. Galatians 1, it says, for, this is Paul writing. He says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers, and in, the, in trying to be zealous for the traditions of his fathers in Judaism, he tried to destroy the church. The person of Jesus is, is all through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it points to Jesus, and what he's saying is, Paul said, I was such an expert in the Torah, but I did not know the person that the Torah pointed to. So it's possible to be zealous about an ideology and be misguided or disconnected from the person that, ide that ideology points to. Does that make sense? I'm trying to address man, some religious thinking. Matthew chapter 26 verse 3 says, Then the chief priests, notice who's in attendance here, check this out. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who's called Caiaphas. Who's that? These are all the religious leaders. These are the leaders of the, I won't say the church because it wasn't a church like we know church, but the leaders of the synagogue, the leaders of, the Juda of Judaism, chief priests, scribes, elders, high priests. You would think that all these people who were the experts of the day on the known Bible, the Bible that they knew, these were the heavy hitters who knew it better than anyone. So you would think that these people who knew the Bible backwards and forwards would be coming together to worship Jesus as the Messiah that they see coming through the pages. But is that what's happening? Look in verse 4. And they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. Yikes. So the people that knew the Bible didn't recognize the Jesus of the Bible. Here's the problem, we've got to be careful. Paul said they knew some things. They had a zeal for God. They knew, but they didn't become what they needed to become. Here's what I don't want for the church. I don't want you to come to church services and hear sermons and know things about God and never know him. 
I don't want you to be satisfied with coming to church and say, I know a bunch of uh, Bible stories. I know enough, a lot of things about church. I know a lot of stuff about the Bible. You can quote some scriptures, but never know him, the person, intimacy. And this is what's happening in cessationism and certain denominational teaching. They're saying certain things have passed away. All they want to wrap around is let's just get together and let's talk about how we can understand the Bible. We don't need the gifts. We don't need the operation. We don't need intimacy and the Holy Spirit and demonstration. All we need is the Bible because what's perfect has come. So now that what's perfect has come, all the gifts are done away with. That is unbiblical teaching. And what's happening is they're pointing to, let's just get satisfied with having discussions and talking about theology and points in the Bible and see who's right on an idea and never see the living person jump off the page and encounter someone. I don't want to be satisfied with discussions about him and never see him. Been accused of saying, well, you guys are just pursuing more encounters with Jesus and, and all of that. I don't think you need all that. I think we do need that because I think dry religion is what killed Jesus and hung him to the cross. I think if we're not demonstrating, the Bible says these signs shall follow them who believe. Shall follow. We've got to, we owe it to the Word of God to have the Word of God come alive and come into your heart and touch your life. If it's just theory, it doesn't change you. It doesn't change me. But when it comes alive in me, man, something happens. I get to step into a state or a condition that's more than just a theory that Jesus died on the cross. It's a great thing. It's a great story. I love that, that Jesus went and died on the cross. But do I, do, do I know why? And do I know what was made available for me because of that? It's more than just a ticket to heaven. It's to step into a state or condition of being saved, delivered, healed, made whole, and rescued. Now, they say, for they being ignorant, verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Here's what he's saying about Israel. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. They wanted to establish their own, so they didn't submit to that. And he was saying, when Jesus came, the righteousness by works is over. The righteousness by the law, by what you do and don't do, that's over. When Jesus came, righteousness by faith stepped onto the scene. And here's the problem. Too many times we're still trying to live by righteousness of the law. Because we're trained. When we do right, we get rewarded. When we do wrong, we get punished. And again, I know there's application for that. For we can do parenting class some other time. But I'm just saying that we cannot look at God like my approval from him comes on my, based on my behavior. He's already made up his mind that he loves you unconditionally and will never change. Now my connection to him, my connection to him ideally is going to be based on my obedience, not for affirmation, but out of affection. I'm not to obey God for affirmation. It's a, to obey him out of my affection for him. And that's what he's asking us to experience. So these people here tried to make up a righteousness based on their own, and they didn't submit to God. Let's go to, to one more scripture. Go to Acts chapter 4. You and I, we will be very frustrated if we try to live a life 
with based on righteousness on our own, what we can do for ourselves. It won't, it won't be very fulfilling. We'll struggle with it. We don't want to have our own righteousness. Our own righteousness is filthy rags. Salvation is in Jesus. So the state or condition that you're wanting your life to be better, it's only going to happen when we step into him. The emphasis on Jesus in this message and on this series of talks, however long it is, may just be today, but it's about reminding people that connected to Jesus is where everything comes from. Everything. Stepping into him. Jesus saved me, he delivered me, he healed me, he made me whole. And now I have, through faith, I have to step into that state or condition and release my faith into what he says instead of what I feel. My state, my reality cannot be based on my circumstances. My condition cannot be based on my circumstances. My condition has to be based on my connection. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to override some sensory messages that tell me that's my reality when his word says something different. I've got to be able to override how I feel and step into how I believe. It's a challenge because our feelings rule us. He said the just shall live by feelings. Which is it? Right, by faith, the just shall live by faith, but don't we live by feelings? Um, how many, uh, let's see, don't raise your hand. How many, like me, I'll just say, how many have ever felt like you couldn't engage with God based on how you felt? Right? Like, have you ever had the church service where you felt like you were going to praise the ceiling down? You came in hyped, ready to go. Something's going on. Whatever it was, you were just lit. And then you had those services where you came in, and you're like, I'm not even sure I'm saved. Can we be real? I mean... The problem is we live and die too much by our feelings. And we let our feelings disengage us from the presence of God. And I'm talking to myself. That when you come in and you're hyped, and I'm not against emotion. I'm intense individual. But I'm like, if we live by that, we will die by that. So what God's calling us into is to step into what he's provided for you regardless of how you feel about it. This is how I can say I'm healed when my circumstantial evidence doesn't agree with me. Because I am in a state or condition based on the connection to the healer, not on whether my circumstantial evidence validates it or not. But we have said I'm not healed until the circumstantial evidence says, okay, now you're healed. This is why it's when people talk about healing, use whatever. Some people get tripped up. You talk about healing. I had someone saying, you guys just focus on healing too much. I'm like, did you read the Gospels? Like Jesus healed a lot. But the point is, some people think it's lying to agree with the state or condition that's been provided them for by Jesus if their circumstantial evidence is not validating it yet. Did I go too fast? 
Some people say, well, I can't lie. This is how it is. That's what the circumstantial evidence says. But what does Jesus say? Well, I know, but that's not the way it is. I've got all this going on. I'm in this and this, this. I know, but what does the word say? I've got to release my faith in one or the other. I can't do both. I can't put my faith in the condition provided for me by Jesus and the circumstantial evidence at the same time. One of them is going to rule my members. Acts chapter 4. Have you found that yet? Okay, sorry. Look at verse 5. How are we doing? And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, who's together here? Check this group out. All right, so we got rulers, we got elders, we got scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander. These are all the high rollers. These are the heavy hitters, the religious leaders. And as many as were of the family of the high priest. Quite a distinguished gathering. They were gathered together at Jerusalem. These were all the people who would know what was biblical and what's not biblical. They would be experts on the Bible. When they had set them in the midst, talking about the disciples, this is right after the lame man was healed in chapter 3, where Peter and John went to the temple and the man who had been healed for 40 years, he was lame for 40 years and they healed him. So they set them in the midst and they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if, this, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been sozoed? That's the word. Has been made well is the Greek word sozoed. Saved, delivered, rescued, healed, made whole. What are they doing? What's happening? These religious leaders are judging them not because the guy was sozo. They cannot deny that. He's there standing. He was lame for 40 years, but now he's healed. Jesus touched him. It's a known miracle. They can't deny the miracle. But what are they judging for? They're judging them about the means by which he was sozo. Here's what religion will do. Religion will bypass a miracle to focus on the means by which it came to try and negate the validity of the miracle itself. It will get so caught up in the means by which it will lose sight that the man was healed. Like you can't see the forest for the trees. It's like they're they're mad because, they're not mad because the guy's healed because they can't do anything about that. They're mad by the way he was healed. How dare you do this in Jesus' name? We don't like Jesus. We don't care. I'm sure the lame guy's like, I really don't care what you think. I was laying on a mat for 40 years. And if you don't like the means, you deal with it. Look at my legs. I'll take this every day. But this is what happens. This is what happens. We get caught up on the means by which, and we don't know what to do if God's touching people. We don't like if God's touching people in the water. So, tell the people who's getting touched in the water that you don't like it. I just don't think that's biblical. Tell them. It's biblical for God to touch people in the water. A man was healed of leprosy in the water, dipping seven times in the muddy Jordan. So 
Go on, verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel. This is, so this is Peter's response. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So again, they asked the question, you know, by, uh, by what power and by what name have you done this? And he said, well, let me just tell you. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way. Whom God raised from the dead by him. Salvation, sozo, soteria, is in Jesus. By him, this man stands here before you whole. How did the man stand before them whole? Did Peter and John say, well, we did this. They didn't say that. Said, by him, by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Where does sozo come from? It's by him, through faith. Through faith. This lame man stepped into a condition that was provided for him by Jesus. He stepped into it what? Through what? Through faith. When he said, stand up and walk. He said, by him this man's made whole. Verse 11, this is the stone, Jesus, which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, nor is there soteria. Nor is there a state or condition of being saved, delivered, healed, rescued, and made whole in any other. What do you need in your life? What do you need rescued from? Do you need to be rescued from anxiety? Be rescued from marital problems? Do you need to be rescued from financial problems? Do you need to be rescued or healed from physical problems? What is it that you need soteria from? There is none in any other. It's only in Jesus. I'm pointing to Jesus because we're trying to find answers in all these other places and you can't find it in any, any other place but Jesus. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be sozoed. The name of Jesus. We must be rescued, delivered, healed made whole, saved, the name of Jesus. Who's the name that can save us all? Who's the name that can save us all? Who's the name that can save us all? Never be ashamed of that name. You will never be persecuted for saying the name of God. Excuse me. You'll never be persecuted for saying the name of God. I believe in God, God, God. There's lots of gods. But you say Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We just narrowed the gap a little bit. There is one way, one truth, one life. His name is Jesus. Jesus. That's the name we use. Yeshua. Jesus. The name of Jesus, the name above every other name. No other name given among men whereby we must be sozo. Look what happened in verse 13. We close with this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, Lord, give the church of God boldness again to say that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, perceived that they were uneducated, Untrained men, you know what that means? 
I looked up uneducated and untrained. It means that they didn't receive authorized education in Hebrew rabbinical traditions. They weren't taught as a rabbi. They weren't part of the elite of the educated theologians of the day. They didn't have formal education in their systems and their traditions. But they had something else going for them. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Lord, let it be said of us that when people look at your life, they go, have you been with Jesus? Have you, I know you're uneducated and untrained, but have you been with Jesus? The marker that's going to change the world is not the greatness of my theology, but the greatness of our connection to the person of Jesus Christ. I can have a doctorate of theology, but if I study the wrong theology, that just means I have more to unlearn. I'm not against doctrines of theology. I think it's wonderful in the right direction. I'm working on my master's in theology. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with education. But education that leads to the person, not education that is the end unto itself. So here's what I felt like God wanted to do today. He wanted me to communicate to us all, and I, I guess maybe the Holy Spirit's teaching us all through this, that Jesus provided something for you and for me that we could not provide for ourselves. We have been saved by grace, through faith. And so what the invitation is for all of us to step into what's already been provided. To not ask God to do something that he's already done, but to step into what he's already provided. When did God save you? In our thinking, we would point to a day in history. I got saved when I was 12, 7, 30, whatever. We would point to that. But when did God provide salvation? At the cross. By grace, God's good will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be sozoed. So when were we saved? When was it provided? On the cross. When do we step into that position or condition? When we receive it by faith. When we just say, okay, Lord, I don't have to earn it. I'm just going to believe it. I'm going to receive it. Is it that simple? Yes. Yes. So what do you need from God? He's already provided it. I promise you, whatever you need today, he's already provided it. Any area of your life, it's already been provided. Now we just got to step into it. Step into it by faith. If you need salvation, if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, right now you can step into forgiveness of sin by the grace of God and receive salvation and become the righteousness of God. Not because you become a better person, but because you step into a condition provided for you by the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.